You're listening to Beyond the Plate with Andrew Kaplan. That sounds so weird. You're listening to Beyond the Plate with Cappy. You know, I'm sure I I made more mistakes than anybody in the restaurant business because I've tried so many different things in so many different restaurants. I make a lot of mistakes always. Hey everyone, this is Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate, a podcast where I sit down in person with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the industry and the social impact they have made in their communities. Every episode we share inspiring stories of what it means to be in today's bustling hospitality industry. You can find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at On Cappy's Plate or go to www.beyondtheplatepodcast.com and... We're now on Twitter and Facebook. Be our friend at BT Plate Podcast. That's at BT Plate Podcast on Twitter and on Facebook. We have our own page. It's episode seven. Who do we have for episode seven? This is a new one. We've had food TV personalities and Rachel Ray. We've had food TV personalities and chefs and Andrew Zimmer. And we've had straight up badass chefs and Michael Solomonoff. So when we started this podcast, we were thinking, do we do restaurant tours? Do we do chefs? I kind of wanted to do both. And when it comes to the restaurant tour world, there's kind of one man in my eyes that's like the top of the top. Number one, numero uno. There's only one man in my eyes that leads the pack. It's Rich Melman. Rich Melman is the founder and chairman of the board for Let Us Entertain You Enterprises, a Chicago-based company. You've most likely been to the restaurants if you live in Chicago or have come through here. For this interview, we sat in Rich's office at Let Us Entertain You headquarters. It's a pretty incredible place. Lettuce has over 125 restaurants coast to coast, mostly in Chicago, some in the Los Angeles, Santa Monica area. They have one in Arizona and beyond. They have over 7,000 people that work for them. They've done over 200 concepts. His first restaurant was in 1971. It was RJ Grunt's. It's still kicking today. You're going to hear more about it in this episode, which is pretty incredible. And chances are you've heard of a couple concepts called Maggiano's or Corner Bakery, both Lettuce's creations. You're going to learn a lot this one. If you know someone that has worked in the industry or works in the industry, whether in the kitchen or on the dining room floor, please pass this episode along to them because this is one of the main reasons I do this podcast. It's to get these real life stories out there. Rich Melman is one of the most successful restaurateurs. It did not happen overnight and you're going to hear a lot of his journey along the way. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Rich Melman. So we're sitting at the Let Us Entertain You Enterprises headquarters in Chicago on the north side. We're sitting here in Rich Moman's office. How many people are in these offices over here? I'd say we have about 70, 80 people working in the offices. And you have a test kitchen here too? And do you use that for most of your restaurants or new concepts and things like that? Use the test kitchen in a lot of different ways. Sometimes we have people coming in from the outside that want to show a group of our chefs a new piece of equipment, new methods of doing something. We have a consulting division. Sometimes you know what we're working on if you walk into the kitchen and it looks like uh, Krispy Kreme back there. That's something that we do. We work on a lot of new concepts in the test kitchen. I never start anything unless I first get excited about the food that we're doing. 
we're constantly experimenting with just different things that I might want to do in the future. We feed a lot of our people here. We do little dinners there. So we use the test kitchen a lot and try new products. You know, I'll hear of something new and I'll bring it in and we'll do it. And we have a lot of fun. That's exciting. Speaking of you won't do a new concept unless you're excited about the food. Again, thank you for sitting down with me because I know you're in the middle of a, another big opening with the Beatrix and the West Loop, right. um, which is super exciting. Is that one of your latest babies, if you will? Yeah, it's part of the family. Uh, Beatrix has been uh, a fun child to raise so far. This is the third one we're doing. Excellent. Very cool. I like to talk about how we met. I knew of you long before you knew who I was. <laughs> I grew up in the north suburbs of Chicago, and I grew up going to all of your restaurants. And when I was nine years old, I knew who you were when you would walk through a dining room. <laughs> and one of my favorites was Tucci Benucci in the 900 North Michigan building. And it was I think I used to get like angel hair pasta with red sauce or butter and garlic or something like that. But it was like my treat. One of my family would go down there and I love that. But we frequented all the different places. So I knew you in my single digit years. And then I did a report on you when I was in hospitality school over 15 years ago. You were generous to give me some time and, and some answers to some questions I had. The last time we met, I was having a dinner at RPM Steak and you sat at our table and you were a person that I've looked up to in the industry forever. So when you sat down, it was like, to me, part of my French, I was like, holy crap, you know, <laughs> just listening to anything you have to say is is incredible to me. So, Well, thank you for the nice comments and introduction. So where did you grow up? Logan Square. Really? Yeah. I was a Logan Square guy. Lived there till I was about 17 and loved that neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. Big change now, huh? You know, it's funny. It was sort of a cool neighborhood, I thought, when I was growing up. And then it got a little rough. And now it's gotten back to be a cool neighborhood. It's probably cooler now than when I was there. I had a lot of great memories from Logan Square. What was your first job you ever had? First job I ever had was actually working in a restaurant, and it was working behind a soda fountain. I remember they needed strawberries to be cut, the stems to be taken out and cut up and so forth, and I cut myself a little bit, and they gave me a spoon to do it with. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. Any like horrible, like a good or bad situation with that job? You know, not that I recall. I mean, I, I really wasn't interested in restaurants. I really wasn't. The only thing I was interested in when I was a kid were athletics. I mean, I did that every spare moment. Wasn't much of a student. Working to me, I mean, I, we came from a lower middle class family and working for me was how I was able to buy a baseball glove or a bicycle or whatever it was. I mean, it was real clear that we had to work for whatever we wanted. So that's what it was for me. What was life like growing up in the in the Melman household was there like family dinners and my dad was not around all that much it seemed like to me it was myself and I have a brother that's seven years younger and my mom and she was the best I mean I was very close to my mom and we had a small apartment it was a one-bedroom apartment and my folks lived in the uh, slept in the living room with a pull-out bed and I'm sure that was pretty common in those days I loved my childhood I loved the neighborhood I had tons of friends that lived on the block. There was always something to do. And I think it was probably a natural, normal childhood. Thinking back, I mean, I didn't think I lacked anything. We didn't have a lot, but I don't think I, I lacked anything. I'm close with my mother as well. And I always have these few lessons or quotes in my head that I always hear my mother saying, are there any of those for you 
that your mom shared? Well, my mom was, she was very sweet. My friends all liked her. My dad was standoffish and a little tougher. I'm aware of the fact that she was very encouraging to me. She always thought that I could do things well. It didn't show in my schoolwork or anything else, but she believed in me. And that was a very important thing. I think I gained confidence because of her. That's nice. You and your wife have been married for 41 years. You have three children. I'm not going to ask you how you did it and what's the secret and and all that stuff. To being married or having kids? Both. (laughs) Kids, I I guess I know that one. (laughs) Yeah. No secrets. (laughs) My question for you is, what is your wife's favorite lettuce entertainer restaurant? That's a good question. You know, I'd have to ask her that. I suspect one of the kids' places. She's very close with all three of them. And I would think maybe RPM Italian, but I, you know, I don't know that answer. I, I'll, I'll ask her that tonight. I know she has a special feeling for grunts because that's where we met. She came in as a customer and that's how I met her. Yeah, that's how I met her couple years after we opened the restaurant. So I'll get back to you. I love that. I want to talk about your journey into the industry. And I know you're not the type of guy to flaunt things like this, but technically speaking, you can take credit for the invention of a salad bar, bringing salad bars to the masses with RJ Grunts back in 71. It opened things like, and I don't know if you see it like this, but I was thinking about this. So you started Food Life in Water Tower in the 90s. To me, that's like we call food hall-esque type place. You're like crazy ahead of the time on so many of these things. People often have credited me with inventing the salad bar and it's not true. I read about a salad bar, believe it or not, in 1968 before I was even in business. And it was in Hawaii and it was a steak and lobster place. And they had these real simple salad bars in those days where it had literally normal, just regular lettuce and maybe five or six toppings and a couple dressings. And that was the whole thing. And you helped yourself. And the reason I did a salad bar was because there was no room in the Grunt's kitchen. It was very, very tiny. We could, we'd have no room for a salad station. And the second reason we did it was because I thought we didn't have a lot of seats and waitress would come up, take a drink order, come back, tell you to go help yourself with your salad. I thought it would save time and we'd get better turnover. Little did I realize that's not what the customer thought. The customer realized it was great value associated with just taking as much as you want and whatever you want. It worked, but for not the reasons that I thought it worked. So what I did was, I never went to this day, I haven't been in Hawaii, but I read about it and I sort of socked it away. And then when I realized we didn't have the space, I did it. The only difference was I added a ton of items. I added all these different items, egg salad, you know, chopped liver. Does it still evolve? Does it still evolve now? I mean, it's still there, but is it like an ever-evolving? I certainly haven't added to it in the last couple years. I think if I was probably spending more time at Grunts, I probably would always be playing around with it. I'll look at it. It it was different in the beginning. It was like a, a piece of art. I mean, we would mold it. It was all ice, and then we would just make it free form. And then after time 
passed and I was spending a lot less time at grunts, I thought it got sloppy looking. And so I did a sort of a paint by number thing. You know, I said, All right, I want this here and that there. And we put it in tins and it doesn't look as exciting as it did in those days, but it's more consistent right now. So we keep referencing grunts. That's your first concept out of over a hundred, well over a hundred. That was in 1971. Take us to the point, like where you were just before, like late sixties, early seventies before grunts and how, like how grunts happened. The late sixties were very frustrating time for me. I had all these ideas that I wanted to do, but didn't have the means to do it. I had saved up $10,000, which I, I guarded. I didn't want to spend the penny of it. I must have talked to 25 people about being my partner in business because I just didn't have enough money to do it. For whatever reason, people kept turning me down. So it was a rough time. I'd, I'd always worked. I'd, I'd keep working because I didn't want to spend the money that I had saved up. Were you working in industry? Yeah, I sold restaurant supplies a little bit and couple other things, but any type of decent money that I made was working in restaurants. And then I got introduced to Jerry Orzov through a girl who I was quite friendly with in high school. We didn't hit it off the first time we met, and I didn't see him for a year or two. And then another friend of mine in the restaurant business said, I got a guy you ought to meet. He wants to open a restaurant, and I think you guys would hit it off. He had a delicatessen at the time. This fellow, the name is Mort Steinberg. And I said, oh, I've met him. And he's a jerk. And he said, nah, you got to meet him a second time. And I met him a second time and we just clicked. And that was it. I mean, so that's what was happening. I, I went from being frustrated to being elated that I found somebody that I respected and I trusted. And he became my mentor, my best friend. I, I remember one time, some this maybe sums up the relationship. Uh, someone said to him, well, you guys have these successful restaurants, but what do you contribute, Jerry? And Jerry said, it's real simple. Richard takes care of the restaurants and I take care of Richard. <laughs> he was like my bigger brother. Really? Yeah. He helped me in so many ways. He polished me. There's no question in my mind that I would not have had even close to the success that I've had without without him being there and mentoring and guiding and directing me in the early days. He just knew it. He just knew so much more than I did. I was a guy that had a sense of restaurants, but he knew about business. He knew about everything else. He was way smarter than me in those things. Jerry has since passed. Yes, died in 81. Young, yeah. Do you still think of him and use things that he did teach you? I think of him constantly. I mean, this office has pictures of Jerry when he's a baby up there. That's a great picture. Yeah, he's on my mind. RJ, our oldest, is Robert Jerome, named after Jerry, and Jared is named after Jerry. So, no, he's a very much a part of my life to this day. I think about him all the time, just different things that happen. That's great. So you and Jerry open RJ Grunts, and as many restaurant tales will have it, things weren't great off the bat, no. right? No, it didn't start out good at all. In fact, it, it took months for it to catch on. It doesn't maybe sound like a long time, but for me, I didn't have any money. I had nothing. I wasn't cashing paychecks. I was eating all my meals there. I remember my rent was $205. I didn't, I had that put away and whatever the money was for my utilities. It was a frustrating depressing time for me. But I learned an awful lot. They talk about people going through the Great Depression. Well, this was my Great Depression. I mean, besides being depressed that all these ideas hadn't worked, there was no money. And it 
taught me a great lesson. I think the thing that came out of it, maybe more than anything, is that I will never take anything I do for granted. There's never going to be a time that I open a restaurant that I don't try my hardest. And if that day comes where I no longer feel that drive and that need to be there and watch it and go over the details, that'll be the day that I know I need to cut back. So far, I haven't gotten that feeling. I hope you never do. (laughs) Me too. It would be nice if I don't. But it came from that. It came from appreciating how hard business is. You know what it's like? And athletics were a big part of my life. It's like you don't need any special skill to hustle, to try your hardest. And so I do. What was the turning point? You said it took months, but what was the turning point where people started, the dining room was full? You know, it was very funny because I'd be real sad. I would kid myself after a couple of weeks. I'd say, well, tomorrow's the day it's going to happen. And it didn't. Jerry was on the outside looking in and he kept saying to me, "Ah, people I talk to love it. Don't worry about it. Well, it's hard not to worry about it when you're losing money and you didn't have the money to lose. I mean, I couldn't pay bills and stuff and owed a lot of money. And uh, I remember saying to myself, well, I'm going to take two jobs, one to live on and one to pay back everybody that I owe. And that's how I was living. Wait, wait, wait. So while you were running RJ Grunts, you had another job? I was thinking of it. Got it. Okay. I didn't have another job, but I was thinking that if it didn't work out, that's what I would have to do in the future. It was interesting. I remember the day vividly that things changed. There was a Wednesday, you know, again, a couple months into it, there was a Wednesday where I said to myself, I can't keep kidding myself. I think I failed. It's, I can't play the bills. Just not working. And Jerry had just, that's what was so wonderful about him. I mean, I think good partnerships balance each other off. And he, he balanced me off in that way. And I was real depressed about it. And he was fine. I remember I went home and I don't think I've ever felt worse than I did that night, that Wednesday night, probably in, in, in August 1971, Except for the day that my folks died and Jerry died. I mean, those are the days that maybe are as impactful as that particular day was. And so then Thursday came and I went back to work and maybe it was a relief. I said, all right, I failed. You know, I'm going to start putting the pieces together. You're about to accept it. Yeah, exactly. That Friday, a guy that was a customer of ours said, Rich, I like most of the food on the menu, but you make this Dungeness crab and you don't do it well. And I said, how do I correct it? And he said, I'm going to take you to a place that's real popular. And it was called Slicker Sam's. It was a very cool place on the west side. And Sam was a real character. And he said, Sam's a friend of mine and you'll see what he does. So he took me out there. He picked me up about three in the afternoon. And I remember I had one sport jacket, pair of jeans on and T-shirt. And we went out there and he introduced me to Slicker. And Slicker couldn't have been nicer. And he took me in the kitchen. And it was a real popular restaurant. And I was doing a lot of things wrong. And maybe we got there at 4.15, 4.30. And I spent about an hour with him. And at 5.30, we went back to the city. And the customer's name was Phil. And he dropped me off at Grunt's. It was about 7 o'clock. And I walked into Grunt's. And the place was jammed. I don't know why or what. The place was up for grabs. It was the first time I'd ever seen it anything but like half full or a third full or people dribbling and, you know, just coming in in dribbles. And the kitchen was up for grabs. I remember tearing off my coat and going back in the kitchen and just getting it organized and helping them run food out and so forth. Nobody was used to it. 
And I remember walking around the restaurant, and I can't remember the girl's name, but I could close my eyes and remember her face. And I walked by, and she said, are you the owner? And I said, yeah. And she said, I have this instinct. You could ask any of my friends, and there were a couple of them sitting there. I could tell instantly when a place is right or is going to be hot. She says, this place is amazing. I love it. And she started rattling off what she liked about it. And I remember how that made me feel. It was like I was elated. And then I said, well, it can't be like this again tomorrow. And, uh, and it was. And it never stopped from that day. So it was that one day that I went from my lowest and two days later, I was elated. Crazy. That's incredible. That's amazing. I was going to ask you if there was any point in your career where you ever wanted to throw in the towel or ever question if you belonged in the industry type thing, but you kind of hit on that at that point with grunts on that Wednesday night in August of 71. Have you had an experience like that after that or was that like the biggest one? I can't recall. I mean, who the hell could remember all the days in the 40s, past 46 years, but I don't think I've, you know, I'm sure I, I've made more mistakes than anybody in the restaurant business because I've tried so many different things and so many different restaurants that I've done. I make a lot of mistakes always. I'm sure I doubted myself at moments, like, do I really know what I'm doing? But nothing compared to how I felt that Wednesday. What's the key to picking yourself? Well, maybe that's the answer, but I was going to ask, what's the key to picking yourself up after these mistakes? Because you've had well over 100 concepts, some many have closed, some are still around. How do you keep going? I think in life, I think you need some basic intelligence. I don't think you have to be a genius, but I think you have to have like common sense, street smarts. I think you have to have a lot of drive. I don't quit. And there's something I think is extremely important in anything you do in life, and that's to believe in yourself. And I think that has a lot to do with confidence. When did you start believing in yourself? Was that from your mother or was there a time in the industry? I believed in myself when I was a kid in a lot of ways. I believed in myself in athletics. I believed I could handle myself in a fight. I believed, you know, about a lot of things. Were you a fighter? Yeah, very much. I loved fighting. Yeah, <laughs> I, was always in, I was always in trouble. You know, I, I, I can't tell you where it came from. You know, I think it probably a lot had to do with my mom. It didn't have to do with my father. He was pretty critical of me. But my mom just always believed I was good. My guess is that your critique and are critical of all of the concepts under the umbrella. Am I critical? Sure. I think I'm a good critic. I mean, I could be tough. I want people to be the best they could be. And if I sense that they're not getting the most out of their talent, I, yeah, I am critical. I have a sense of what I think is right, and it's been proven to me that I am right a lot of the times. No one's right all the time. And uh, there's a standard about how I like to see things done. I'm very direct. I've always been very direct. I tell people what I think. I think I could say it in a positive way, but I, but I do. Was there a certain dish or restaurant experience that changed your life? I don't know that there was one. You know, I know my goal when we opened RJ Grunts was to have a spectacular hamburger. And I spent a tremendous amount of time on the hamburger and the equipment to make the hamburger and the bun and the mustard and every single little detail about the burger I was obsessed with. And then the cottage fries I was obsessed with. And I'm still like that. You know, I'll pick things that I think are important and I just keep working on it. It was, 
you know, maybe I've made 50 chocolate puddings till I found the one that I think is the right chocolate pudding. I've done a lot of stuff like that. So I read a quote that you had said, we've had the ability to give people what they want almost before they know they want it. You can call it trend setting. I prefer to call it the ability to listen to people. You have over 100 restaurants. You have over 6,000 employees. What was the hardest part between restaurant one and 100 plus? So we did our first restaurant and my goal was to make $15,000 a year. I was actually making more than that working for other people. And I hit my goal at the end of the first year and Jerry's goal was to make $12,000 and he hit his goal. And then he talked me into retiring, but that's another story. (laughs) I was very happy. And two years later, we did a second restaurant and that was more successful than the first one, money-wise. I mean, in every way. It was a little bigger. What was number two called? It was called Fritz That's It in Evanston. It was like 1973. We did a series of restaurants after that. And we went from two to eight within a period of about four years or so. And I was making more money having two restaurants than I did having eight restaurants. And I wound up taking a reduction in salary. And by the way, every one of the restaurants was packed. So sometimes when I see a restaurant that's new and people say, oh my God, what a gold mine this is. I always say, you don't know. You just don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So for, for someone who may be listening to this that's not in the industry, that does think that you had two restaurants, you said you were making more money. You have eight now and they're packed but you're not making more money, Where, where's the disconnect? Okay, well, that's the part where you said, what, what, what did I learn between one and 100? That was probably my biggest learning experience that in terms of becoming a businessman, I was just sort of like a wild entrepreneurial person without the disciplines and systems and so forth like that. And so that was a great learning thing for me to not just be creative, but can you be creative and make money? And ultimately, if you don't make money, you're putting all the people that work for you in jeopardy. How important are those systems today for you all? We're disciplined. You know, discipline's not a punishment. Discipline is how you win in sports, in business. And so I've certainly become a more disciplined, organized, thoughtful, you know, type of entrepreneur. And that was a great lesson. I think you could certainly learn a lot by your successes, but I think that you probably learn more about your failures when you have failures. And that was what I had. I had to say, geez, look at me. I mean, I got all these restaurants. People are thinking how terrific I'm doing and I'm not making any money. What concept is most exciting to you right now? I'm not sure I could pick one. When we do a new restaurant, we're always excited or I wouldn't do it. And generally speaking, they're like kids to me. They're all special. I mean, I can't tell you which one of our kids is my favorite. I'm with each of them separately and I love them. And there's something unique about each one of them. Well, I feel that way about the restaurants. I'll go into... Shaw's and I'll think back about what it was like at the beginning of Shaw's and all the different things and I have a pretty good memory about all the things that got us to where we are and I smile and I get a big kick out of it you know I could name restaurants that are the busiest and stuff like that but generally speaking if I spend time at one of the restaurants it becomes a favorite of mine we, we have a restaurant that we've had for about 36 years out in Phoenix 
And I spent a lot of time there this winter. I ate there a lot and I loved it. I mean, I just got a big kick out of it. And, you know, I have my favorite things on the menu. And what concept is it's that? It's called Don and Charlie's. It's a rib house and steakhouse. And it just has some really neat things. And Donnie Carson, who was a friend of mine when we were kids, were partners for 36 years and he's a great partner. I go out there and I see that restaurant and I love it. Or I go to Grunt's and I have a cheddar burger, medium rare, and I go, ah, oh, shit, now I remember what I loved about this restaurant. So I don't know that I have a particular favorite. I mean, I'm spending time now at Beatrix, the new Beatrix, which is in the West Loop that I think in some ways might be the best one we did out of the three. Yeah, I think so. It's pretty I like them both. Thank you. So I'm excited for this West Loop one. Wait, I always say Beatrix, but I believe you just said Beatrix. Beatrix. Got it. Yeah, people say Beatrix. Yeah. yeah, no, it's Beatrix. For me, it's named after my mom. And my wife's mother was also B. So we got both of them. But I was thinking of my mom when we did it. But Martha reminded me that they're both B's. So in a sense, it's named after our moms. What was the last um, like overall restaurant experience that stopped you in your tracks? Like you were just all around experience. You're like really embracing it. You mean anywhere that I've eaten? Anywhere, yeah. Your concepts or if you were in Arizona, anywhere. Like everything from front of house, back of house, the whole vibe. You know, I I don't know that that happens to me all that much. You know, there's places I look at and I say, wow, what a great looking bar, what a great whatever it might be. But generally speaking, I like places where I like the food. As simple as that. And they could be dumps, and I'll like something on the menu, and that's why I go there. I went to a little place in Phoenix called Gadzooks. That was a little Mexican place. And, gee, the food was good. Friends of mine uh, took me to a couple Mexican places that I thought were okay, that they thought were like the hot places. And I don't know if this place is the hottest or not. And then someone said that they tried this place, and I don't try it. And I went there. It was sort of out-of-the-way location, and I loved it. And I went back like two or three times. I met the owners, and they're nice kids. We spent time together just talking. And the thing that I liked, it wasn't anything to look at, but I loved certain food items that they had that, that I thought were exceptional. And that's what usually gets me. You know, I've seen a lot in terms of restaurants, and there's a lot of things that I like. You know, I might like the music in one place, and I might like the carpeting somewhere else, but the thing that draws me is the food. I'm very open when it comes to a menu, and I like to try different things and play off of a server or something they may like. And so when I go to your place, I feel like they're well-trained in a, in a great manner to to banter with you as a customer. I hope so. Um, we certainly spend a lot of time and energy and we're always working on the training methods that we use. And I hope that they're honest about it. You know, I, I used to say to people, if you don't like liver and somebody asks you about the liver, say, I'm not a liver eater, but I could tell you what other people have said. You know, I want them to be honest and not bullshitty and yeah, good. My guess is you have a great team around you. A lot of people have ideas and colleagues. Do you remember last time that you were super impressed by a colleague's idea? Well, yes, I, I could tell you that it happened uh, last week. I went into Beatrix, a new Beatrix, and there was a young lady who I'd seen around name is Kara. I didn't know her very well. She works in marketing and public relations and so forth. And they did this video for hiring at Beatrix. 
And I don't know, it was like a minute video, and it was spectacular. I loved it. And I said, who did this? And they said, Carol. And I said, I want to meet her. And I told her how much I liked it, and we, I said, let's sit down. I just wanted to know more about her. And I thought she was great. She sort of produced the whole thing, her idea, I guess. That happens a lot. I mean, there's a, an amazing amount of talented people. I got back from Phoenix like a week and a half ago, and there was a big party that they had for the James Beard people at Three Dots and a Dad. And they showed me, and they said it was busy, and it was a sort of a neat party. They showed me this, looked like a postcard that opened up, and it was a menu and so forth. And I thought it was extremely well done, and I went down to our creative department. And I said, wow, that was great. We have a lot of talented people. I mean, it's amazing. People don't realize the depth of talent that we have. I mean, amazing, amazing people. I think sometimes when they're on a team like ours, we always talk about the star of our team is the team. Sometimes it's sad that they don't get the recognition, but believe me, I don't come up with everything, that's for sure. So in today's day and age, critics, bloggers, social media, obviously all that is way different than when you were starting in the early 70s with your concepts. So they're a different animal now. Are you embracing this change? Well, I I certainly recognize it. You know, I know that it's here to stay. Information comes about quicker. Used to be it take years for people to hear about a restaurant. Now they hear about it in minutes, it seems like. Even though I'm very low tech, I certainly encourage the people in our organization to, to embrace it. Probably one of the strengths of our organization are the young people that we have, you know, headed by RJ and Jared and Molly, our kids, but they know what's going on and they do a great job with it. Do you remember the first restaurant review you ever had? Yeah. It was in the, uh, was it RJ Grunts shortly after we opened and it wasn't good. I should reread it one day. The guy didn't get it. And I remember it was the old Daily News, I think it was. It was a Friday, no, it was a Saturday that it came out on. And someone came into the restaurant, RJ Grunts opened 1130 and someone said, oh, I just read about uh, the restaurant. That's why I wanted to come in and try it. And I said, okay, I seated the guy and I went next door to the, it was like a drugstore and I bought the paper and I read it and I said, wow, I don't think it's a very good review. I thought he was critical and I I didn't think he understood what I was trying to do. He never talked to me about it. And I said, but yet that guy came in. So maybe there's something good about it. But that was the first review. I didn't get depressed or anything like that because it was during the time that the restaurant was starting to get, was happening already. It was a couple of months afterwards. Do you still follow reviews? I, re- I always read reviews. I take that back. Like there was just an article in Cranes about uh, the organization. And I didn't read it uh, until I got back and, and said, I'll send it to you. I said, nah, when I get back. I wasn't in a restaurant mood. And so, yeah, of course, if there is an article, I'll read it. Yeah. What do you think is missing from hospitality today? You know, I mean, it goes all over the board. I think it has a lot to do with, there's a lot of ways to attack that question. I don't know that there's one thing missing in the overall hospitality world. It's sort of interesting how people react as they become successful. Some get cockier, some get humbler, some get more attuned, you know. I think it's an individual thing. And I think the development of a particular restaurant has a lot to do with the development of an individual person. Some people are developed, some people are not. The less developed are probably not as attuned to the customer. But hey, competition in the restaurant business is strong. And that makes 
everybody more attuned if they want to make money. At one time, all you needed was good food. Now it's food and the look and the service and the marketing and you know the pricing. And there's a lot of things that go into it if you really, truly want to be successful. The philosophy based on the importance of partners and sharing responsibilities and profits with them, how did you figure this model out? I've never been a person that was driven by the dollars, number one. It's important. It's in the top five. You know, I I realize you have to have money to be able to pay people, to be able to do things you want to do to make it better for the customer. You do have to make money. I think it had a lot to do with two things, being turned down for a partnership with my father and his partner and how I felt about them and I left them shortly after. And I think a lot of it had to do with how great it was for me having a partner like Jerry. And the third thing is, I don't need all the money. I like sharing. I'm not a, a single sport guy. I'm not a golfer, not a boxer. I'm a basketball and baseball guy. So the team mattered. So I like teams and I like teaming up with people. I've never done any project that I didn't have a partner. And I love it. I wear that as a proud badge. I remember one time somebody asked me to call Outback. I knew one of the owners from Outback. You know, call them and they want to know some questions about their partnership program or something. So I said, yeah, I know him. So I called him. And he started laughing. He said, Rich, you know where I got the idea? And I said, no. He said, from your early days of restaurants in Chicago, I was living in Chicago and you did these partnership things. I just like partners. It was just felt natural. And Jerry felt good about it. And we said, hey, we'll share. And I like that I sleep better at night knowing that there's people that are involved. And I just like partnerships. I want to talk for a couple minutes about social impact and giving back, community relations and things like that. I know you're heavily involved with through your various concept with various different events, donating food, meals, giving back to, I, I hear plenty of stories, which I, I think the world doesn't know about the good you do for a lot of your staff and their families, if in need or not, um, which is amazing. Take care of your people. What would you say the importance is about social impact and giving back to your people or your community? I think it's a very individual thing. I can't speak for how people should feel. I could just talk about how I feel. And there's something that I call peace of mind. It's a very important thing to me. As I've gotten older, I want peace of mind. So I try to do things that make me feel good about myself. And that's where that fits under. You know, I don't need to talk about it. It's just, I do what I feel is right. The people that are out there working at Lettuce are the ones that have given me all the success. They're Lettuce Entertain You. I mean, 400,000 people come to our restaurants every week and I meet about 10 of them. So who's really Lettuce Entertain You? I mean, is it Rich Melman meeting 10 people saying hi for a couple minutes? Or is it the busboys and the servers and the hosts and the hostesses that meet everybody that really determine the experience? So for you, it's less of we work with XYZ organization or cause and a lot of giving back to your team within Lettuce. My charity parts are very personal to me. I just know I do what I do to make myself feel feel good. And a funny story, one of our partners is no longer alive. I've never been good at handling my own money. I'm real good at making money and I sort of throw it over my shoulder <laughs> and my wife takes care of the bills. And, you know, I've always had somebody at Lettuce handling my bills. 
one time he calls me and he said, Rich, you're giving away this money to some individuals and I really disagree with what you're doing and he gave me the reasons for it and so forth. I said, I thanked him. A couple of months goes by and he calls me and he said, Rich, you're still doing it. I said, yeah, I, I know that. I said, I heard what you had to say and I thought about it for a little bit. And I'm in therapy at the time, and I talk to the therapist. I say, you know, I feel good about it. What's the problem here? What's going on? And he said, Rich, for you, generosity and what you do helps produce your peace of mind. He said, you've got a lot of Buddhist in you, and I like that. And he said, I've always thought that about you, about how you think and do stuff. So I told this individual, Charles, I said, Chaz, I know it wouldn't work for you and it wouldn't be you giving away as much of the dollars that you make, but for me it works. And that was it. And so that's sort of how I feel about and what I do. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that story. I want to do a quick speed round of questions with you. First thing that comes to your mind could be as long or short as you want. What did you have for dinner last night? Spaghetti and marinara and pasta. When was the last time you ate fast food? Probably a month ago. Mexican. What food do you dislike? If something's too spicy, I generally don't like it. I'm open to trying most things. What makes you smile in the dining room? A full dining room. What is a pet peeve in a dining room? Well, I don't like if people have, if they're not aware of stuff, pieces of paper on the floor, napkins and stuff like that. I like things organized neat. What actor would you want to play Rich Melman in a movie? Woody Allen. I don't know. <laughs> and what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self or to today's 30-year-olds? Well, it's really nice if you could think back of what you did last year and then do it over and think of all the things you would change. But the truth of the matter is I probably wouldn't change much in terms of my business life. What would you want people to say about the career of Rich Melman, your legacy in the industry? I don't much care about what they say. <laughs> I, I don't. I, you know, hey, that he was fair, that he did a good job. I don't think about that. I'm not doing it for what people will say. I'm sort of selfish. I do it for my own enjoyment. <laughs> fair. That's fair. So thank you very much for sitting down and talking. I You're appreciate welcome. it. And anything you want to plug or shout out or where people can find you? Uh, just leave me alone. Leave, leave me alone. I don't want people finding me. Thank you so much for chatting. Quote, there's never going to be a time that I open a restaurant that I don't try my hardest. And if that day comes, that'll be the day that I know I need to cut back. Thanks again to Rich Melman. Find more on Let Us Entertain You and all of their concepts at www.leye.com. And join us next week when Beyond the Plate presents Just the Plate, a short segment where chefs describe a recipe sharing insider tips on what makes this specific dish meaningful to them. What recipe would a restaurateur talk through, you may be asking? Rich Melman will be dissecting his original menu from RJ Grunts and sharing some epic stories along the way. His first restaurant that he ever opened in 1971 that you heard about earlier in this episode. You can find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at on Cappy's Plate or go to www.beyondtheplatepodcast.com. And as you heard earlier, we are on Twitter. So help us get more than like four friends or something at BT Plate Podcast, Twitter and Facebook. This episode was produced by myself along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yeaton, a.k.a. The Wizard and Sean Petrosian. Thank you all. 
Our music has been composed by Goldford. Find him at iGoldford. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. We appreciate it. And thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.